Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Trinity Reconnected. My name is Jerry Foley and what an international treat we have lined up for you. With my three guests deciding that a life and career mainly spent in Australia and Hong Kong was way better than hanging around in the old world. The big question is, has all that sunshine fried their brain cells? Well, let's find out, starting with Germany, who's in Sydney. Say hello, Germany. Yeah, my full name is Jeremy Jacobs, otherwise known as JJ. And uh, I've been uh, over in Australia since the beginning of 1988. I came over here for one year on a one-year visa for the bicentenary, and Australian customs still haven't found me yet. So I'm happy here 30 or so years later. Yeah, it's, it's been a a long time but uh you know i go back to ireland for a bit of golf and guinness every now and again to revitalize the old bloodstream it's uh it's a it's a great time over here we we, we love it over here yes our brain cells are definitely fried but actually at the moment they're drowning in water from all the rain so climate change is either frying us or drowning us one or the other well certainly sydney has seen a lot and melbourne so we'll go to melbourne now which is about what 800 900 kilometers south of sydney to meet kieran kieran it's your turn to introduce yourself as they say here in australia good day so, <laughs> how's, how's it going everybody lovely to be uh, with you uh, jerry merv and jeremy yeah look all well kieran horgan here uh, background over the years in accounting finance a bit of entrepreneurial stuff spent uh my first departure from ireland took me to Bermuda, where I was lost. I spent 15 years lost in Bermuda. <laughs> uh, but despite being lost, I was in, I enjoyed it immensely. So we, we went to Bermuda, my wife and I, for just for two years. But uh, three children and 15 years later, we thought, time to move on. And we moved to sunny Australia. Unlike Jeremy, we moved to Melbourne. And as we were discussing earlier on, they say about the climate in Melbourne, hey, look, if you don't like the weather here, just hang on a moment. And that's what it's like. It's a beautiful city, very cultural to a degree, Australia, relative to Australia, and uh, has fabulous global cuisine. Uh, unfortunately, you just want to make sure that you're eating indoors. <laughs> well, that uh, I'm sure um, the state of Victoria <laughs> would agree with most of that. Let's now go to find Mervyn, who's normally based in Hong Kong, but uh, <coughs> during the recording of this is actually in Europe and in Spain. So uh, hello to Mervyn. Uh, yes, Mervyn Jacob. I actually left Ireland in 86, um, very quickly after I qualified as a chartered accountant in Dublin. And I think I was one of the first of the Trinity ESS gang to get out to Australia. Went, went there in 86, um, you know, for the usual two or three year experience. And uh, when I was there, actually, I visited Hong Kong on the way back to Ireland in 1988. I was um, impressed and thought this might be a very interesting place to work. Applied for a job, got a job with uh, the firm I was working for, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, and I've been working there and living there ever since. And um, Yes, got married, got married, met my wife in Hong Kong, two children, and have now recently retired. Well, about two years ago, I retired from full-time work and I'm now enjoying uh, the joys of travel. Uh, you've all had uh, very interesting international careers in the financial sector primarily, so I'm going to go into that a little bit later. But I want to take you back, starting with you, JJ, 
memories of uh, having a few pints, occasionally more than a few pints, in O'Neill's pub in Pierce Street, right beside Trinity. And what's this about the Bachelors Club and a famous Silva Salva? Our Trinity days were marked by some serious sessions in O'Neill's and Pierce Street, not too much study. And uh, we drank alongside that. I think the edge was another regular. But uh, before we all emigrated, many of us uh, put in about 25 quid for a silver salver, salver to hang over the bar. And we called it the Bachelor Club, which engraved our name on the silver salver. And the idea was, as each of us got married off, they'd be literally struck off. And the final person, perhaps the ugliest, would keep the trophy. Unfortunately, <laughs> I was unfortunate enough to be the first to marry um, and was immediately struck off and I suppose I could take some consolation as clearly I must have been the best looking. But um, <laughs> That's a very yeah, subjective so, uh, judgment. We won't call that. We won't call the judges on that. But listen, um, Kieran, you had a different memory of a drink-related anecdote from Trinity, and this was in relation to the student union occupation of some Trinity buildings under Joe Duffy's leadership and the question of whether or not they were right to serve free Guinness or was it really free? I can't for, for the life of me, Jerry, remember the name of the rooms over front gate. But, no, I can't uh, either. <laughs> yeah, let's just call them the rooms. <laughs> but at some point or other, the students' union was annoyed about God only knows what. So they decided to take over these rooms. So they took them over and locked the doors and uh, did not allow security or anybody else in. They were bringing food in through the windows and bringing, uh, believe it or not, kegs of Guinness in through the windows. And then, so so they were they were serving Guinness in there. Mm. And at some point, when all of this debacle ended, um, the the college apparently took Joe Duffy uh, and the students' union to court, accusing them of selling alcohol without a license. Now, Joe Duffy's not going to fall for something like that. And he said, oh, no, 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 Your Honour. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the Guinness may have been what the Guinness was, but it wasn't free. What we were doing was renting the glasses, Your yeah, Honour. Clever. Well, he's made a career out of spotting loopholes since then and uh, advocating on behalf of people who are concerned uh, with uh, the interpretation of the law, I suppose. But, um, Mervyn, when it comes to uh, a few pints, mm. that for you was associated with your days playing rugby for one of the Trinity teams out in Santry, mainly yeah. on a Sunday. But I was always very impressed by some of the teammates um, um, on um, on our team um, fr- from the meds, the, the you know they were they they were doing thirty forty hours lectures a week. They were able to play rugby like maniacs um, on the pitch and then drink um, also uh, many pints afterwards. And I was always I was always very impressed how they could you know turn up for um, uh, for a Monday morning to to resume their medical studies. Well, well, you wouldn't necessarily want to be their first patient on that Monday. Well, yeah, morning, I think, well, I fortunately, fortunately, they were just students, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yes, but compared to our um, life in ESS, where we had a sort of 12 or 14 hours lectures, um, they had a, a much harder uh, uh, experience, I think, in terms of hours of work in, in Trinity. Let's look at your overseas work then, starting with you, Kieran, because as you mentioned, you went to Bermuda and you were there for the best part of 15 years. Towards the end of your time in Bermuda, Kieran, you were involved in setting up a company which was based in the Bahamas in Nassau. 
about um, every month I was flying Bermuda JFK, JFK Miami, and then on what's called a puddle hopper, like a small plane from Miami into Nassau. I mean, that business for about three, three and a half, four years. And it was only when I left Bermuda and moved to Australia that American Airlines had the bright idea of having a direct flight from Bermuda to Miami. So it would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of hours in airports. But when you landed in Australia for the first two years, you were splitting your time between Australia and the Bahamas. I was. So I was flying uh, again. I would go to the Bahamas every month for about two weeks. Um, So um, if you think about the position on the globe, it's actually juxtaposed. So it's about a 24 hour flight in effect to get from Melbourne to, to Nassau. So I'd fly there, suffer jet lag, work every hour of the day for two weeks, and uh, then get on a, on a plane and fly back. Go back to you, JJ. So there you go to Australia. And in the early years, in the 90s, now the early 90s, you were working for uh, Bupa, Bupa uh, the health insurance. Tell us about your work there, in particular, the work in relation to this mobile traveling breast cancer screening service, which you overhauled and updated. We had a breast clinic which was losing money and um, they put me in charge of it. So um, we um, asked the doctors to um, increase the revenues a little bit and they had a van on the road and we used to go around the country doing breast screening. And then um, in the summer, they weren't doing so much work. And I thought, well, let's convert it into a skin cancer clinic. And it was great publicity as we used to rock up along the Bondi Beach and places like that and say free skin cancer um, tests here. And we would have this queue of pretty much naked people lined up, which was a, a, the press used to love taking pictures of all these very imagine. voluptuous people um, lining up for their skin cancer tests. And then they promptly went back up onto the beach again and roasted themselves further. But, um, <laughs> yeah, look, it was a, it was very good PR for us. And um, presumably it was good for the people too because, you know, strangely enough, the highest rate of skin cancer in the world is Irish Australians. Um we haven't really evolved for the climate over there. Yeah, you know, you can be 30 degrees in on a beach in Bondi. And Merv, you're, you're in Spain at the moment. You can be 30 degrees there. But the sun in Australia, for some reason, fries you quicker and much more severely than it does in Spain. It's very serious skin cancer over here. And, uh, and you'll find that a lot of Australians now are much paler than the people in Europe because they just stay out of it. Mervyn, so you started in Australia when you emigrated, but then went to Hong Kong, and you've been with PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, um, since then, based out of Hong Kong. Um, you had a lot of experience of helping to open up the Chinese market, advising some China state-owned banks in the early 2000s. What was that like? It was, it was very... It was very, very interesting, Jerry. I mean, I was fortunate in my timing in arriving in Hong Kong in in the in eighty nine is that China was just opening up in the early nineties, um, and we we started building our office in in China. I mean, I I can recall when we when I was in Hong Kong, we had about twenty people in a Beijing rep office, and now and now the firm has about you know fifteen thousand people in mainland China, you wow. know, over over thirty years later. So, but but um. 
in the early days, in the late 90s and early 2000s, we were, we were, we were, we were helping a number of Chinese companies, state-owned enterprises, to reform and um, come up to speed with market practices. And everybody wanted to list on the stock exchange. And it was the Hong Kong Stock Exchange was the exchange of choice. So I spent a lot of time, like you, flying up to Beijing, um, also Shanghai, but mainly Beijing, getting the, the 8 a.m. Dragon Air flight up to Beijing, staying for most of the week, and just working with those Chinese banks. So, yes, they wanted help. They wanted to understand the capitalist market better. You were mm. a small part of opening up China, which is now such a dominant economic success. But you live in Hong Kong, and all we read about is Hong Kong is the democratic crackdown by the Chinese. Do you feel that in terms of living there, that it's become a much more repressive stroke, restrictive regime to live under? Well, Hong Kong really has changed, yes, quite a lot in the past two to three years. You know, when, when Hong Kong returned to China in 1997, everybody would ask me after that, has Hong Kong changed? And for a number of years, I said no. You know, for a good 10, 15 years, there was practically no change. Hong Kong continued to be successful and prosperous but then with the with the crackdown on on protests um three years ago and the introduction of the national security law it definitely is different and it's, it's having an impact and then of course COVID was an extra uh, blow um, and how COVID has been handled has been handled uh, very much in a way that is different than many um countries in europe and 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 in the west so we say I was going to bring um, Kieran in because, Kieran, you're actually working presently for the Department of Health. Uh, so tell us a little bit. From the outside, it seemed that Australia was super, super strict in terms of shutting down everything. Uh, Melbourne was practically closed for, for almost a year, it seemed like. So what's your assessment of how it went in Australia? Well, Jerry, as you know, Australia is made up of a number of states, so it's a bit of a federal health system. Uh, so each state handled it differently. Uh, Victoria, which is where Melbourne is, uh, certainly had several, I think we had six lockdowns. So we spent a lot of time stuck at home. And in fact, it's interesting, you know, that uh, it was Mar March 2020 when I started working from home. And it's now May 2022, and I'm still working from home. So we'll be going back into the office shortly. But it was a very, uh, a very restrictive and very different kind of existence. And in fact, at, at one stage during one of the lockdowns, we had something which I've never experienced before in my life, which was a curfew. So in fact, after eight o'clock at night, we weren't allowed out unless you had a specific reason for being out. So that was really strange from a living perspective. From the yeah, and what about uh, JJ? What about in in Sydney, JJ? How did that play out? Um, look, we were much more liberal in Sydney. Um, we had five kilometer zones for uh, at the worst of the COVID. Um, but my garden really benefited greatly from COVID. <laughs> um, I was there regularly for working from home. I was a gardening from home. And our golfing, <laughs> the original gardening leave. That's right. And, 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 and the golf wasn't too bad either because I just had to change course to something within the five kilometers district. And all the members who weren't in the right district, we all swapped over. So actually, um, we also... We discovered the national parks. I used to go out. I still go out running. 
in the national parks and I've never seen so many people out there lost in my life. But, um, you know, it was a, actually an improvement in lifestyle. Um, I think the work-life balance improved in, in Sydney and um, people now don't want to really go back to the office particularly and they're enticing them with all sorts of coffee and various other things, which isn't fooling anybody. We've now discovered the employee that we can get us just as much work done from home and we don't need to schlep into work. So it's been um, quite a revelation. Power to the people. Look, that's uh, what's been dominating the headlines in the uh, in the last two years. So let's go back to 1982 and see what was making the news. And the headlines is always read by the former RT newscaster, and that's Clodagh Walsh. An estimated 16,000 people marched through the centre of Dublin, demanding fairer taxation after a significant increase in PRSI, pay-related national insurance. Speaking outside the GPO, a succession of union leaders condemned the tax as regressive, saying that workers would pay their fair share of taxation, provided all sectors did likewise. Meanwhile, in Northern Ireland, where unemployment was already running at more than 20%, 1,500 jobs were lost in West Belfast with the closure of the controversial DeLorean car plant. In October, the factory owner, John DeLorean, was arrested in LA in an FBI sting operation, accused of a multi-million dollar cocaine smuggling operation. He subsequently walked free from court after the police were found guilty of entrapment. John DeLorean, at one stage, he was on course to open up a factory in the south, but I think somebody from the IDA did a little bit more due diligence and it didn't happen, which uh, turned out to be a wise move. And of course, the first story there, reminder yet again of how tough the economic situation in the early mid-80s was back home in Ireland, which is why my guests all decided better career opportunities overseas. Now, one of those opportunities, uh, Jeremy Jacobs, in... Sydney was, uh, you were with Reader's Digest for about 10, 11 years. I remember Reader's Digest because my dad was a solo GP in Waterford. And like most GP waiting rooms, we didn't have a very good supply of magazines, but we did always have an updated copy of the Reader's Digest, which I used to enjoy. Um, Reader's Digest was always a conversation point when I bump into people they always say they met it they they read it in the doctor's surgery or the <laughs> dentist surgery or more likely the toilet and <laughs> they love the jokes but uh, look Re- Reader's Digest is an interesting story because really Reader's Digest is Amazon before Amazon before the internet basically we used to be one of the biggest world biggest selling magazines and we used to sell product off the back of that magazine so it was really direct mail as well and a customer we would acquire for maybe $100, and we would extract something like six to $700 worth of profit from them over their customer lifetime value. And, you know, when I joined uh, Reader's Digest in Australia, um, it was loss-making, unusually enough, because a lot of their countries had been making a lot of money. And we turned it around. It was making a lot of money, and then we got taken over. We were on the we were publicly listed. We got taken over by Ripplewood, and Ripplewood were famous for having, they were in the Guinness Book of Records for having made more money on some deal, buying some bank in Japan for $9 billion or something, a profit they made. To summarize, basically, private equity came in, they were hungry, but they overpaid, loaded debt, 
And you saw it as an example of capitalism gone wrong in a way. It's a short-term sugar high, and then you go into a complete descent afterwards. And it was private equity, unfortunately, telling people like myself who knew how to run a good business um, how to, what to do in order to basically pay off their, their mortgage. And unfortunately, that doesn't work. The business comes first. And if you're concerned with paying off the mortgage and you can't afford the mortgage, you shouldn't have had it in the first place. I think that what's happening in China now is very interesting from an economic perspective because they have had a golden run. I mean, they've had the equivalent of the Celtic Tiger, you know, times 10. Um, so, but now, as, you, as, as you'll have seen, the Chinese property market, for example, the property developers are really having difficulties, um, very highly leveraged, um, selling a lot of properties off the plan. Uh, we, we've all heard this before in Ireland and in other economies. And that, that really requires a massive amount of state support, um, to avoid a, a you know a total property uh, collapse, so so in China it's not really there is capital there is capitalism and some a lot of people have made lots of money uh, by being able to access capital markets, but it is still very much a a, a communist uh, country with a lot of um, control from the state and a lot of support from the state. Uh, As we're coming towards the end, let's talk a little bit about. Being so far away from home, we all know of people who in the 80s did go off to Australia, enjoyed it for a few years. You all say you went for a few years, but decided, no, this is where I want to be. And said that I was asked at some point when I was visiting Ireland from Bermuda, where home was for me. Having spent 15 years in Bermuda, there's an aspect of that that I miss uh, very much. Um, I miss Ireland very much, too. I mean, I've got family in Ireland. Um classmates, friends, all that kind of thing. So, so, yeah, look, the tyranny of distance means you don't get to Ireland as often as one might like. So I do miss it. I miss the country. I miss Trinity. It's a beautiful, beautiful campus. Okay, well, that's fair enough. JJ, you were actually back in Ireland at the beginning of April and actually back in O'Neill's in Pier Street. And it suddenly came to you in a moment of clarity, that some of the people you were chatting to that night, you hadn't actually physically seen in person since you were 21. Yeah, it was a, we were all a bit awestruck. Uh, I don't think we were that impressed. Um, <laughs> but basically, some of them had realized that the last time they saw me was at my 21st, which um, is shocking. And we, we realized that we'd better enjoy our, our night because we might not be seeing each other another 40 years' time. But um, <laughs> hey, look, I, 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 I miss Ireland, but um, I'm Australian now. And when Ireland play the Wallabies, I know it might be shocking for some, but I do support um, the Wallabies. And um, Ooh, listen, so I'm, I'm, I'm more than serious. happy. Yeah, that is serious. I'm more than happy uh, to support <laughs> having lived in England since 88. I'm more than happy to support England in football, cricket, rugby. But when they're playing Ireland... It has to be Ireland. You've gone too late. Listen, Merv, um, let's just wrap this up by saying you're back sure. in Europe. You're going to be here for a while. You yeah. will be going back to Ireland. But in general, missing home. My wife is Australian. So at the moment, Hong Kong uh, still works for us uh, because we can travel to both places and see family. But um, we always made a point in making sure our children, we spent every summer in Ireland and also spent, um, we were in Australia every year as well. So um, I, and I'm looking forward to spending more time in Ireland. And we've just got to, to wait and see how Hong Kong 
turns out and develops in the near future. But at the moment, Hong Kong is home, but we'll be spending much more time back home, shall we say, in Ireland. Well, look, it's been fantastic to have you all back together for this edition of Trinity Reconnected. So to JJ down in Sydney and also Kieran in Melbourne and, of course, Mervyn on his holidays in Spain. Thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode in a few weeks' time. Mm-hmm.